Welcome to Amplified, the Federated Hermes podcast channel, where we discuss the key issues, challenges, and trends shaping the investment landscape. I'm Amy Wilson, an engager at EOS at Federated Hermes. EOS conducts stewardship activities on behalf of pension funds and other institutional investors with over $1 trillion of assets under advice. EOS recently published a white paper called Investor Expectations for Global Plastics Challenges. Plastics and the circular economy have been a key focus of our engagement activities with companies this year. And today I'm going to talk to Aaron Hay and Lisa Langer, co-authors of the paper, about why this topic matters to investors. To start with some introductions, Aaron is the lead engager for the SDG High Yield Credit Fund, and Lisa is a fellow engager at EOS and leads our theme team that looks at pollution, waste and the circular economy. And I lead our engagements with the retail sector, which is heavily involved in this topic and have worked with both Aaron and Lisa on this. Lisa, to kick us off, can you tell us more about the risks and opportunities for companies operating along the plastics value chain? Um, thanks, Amy. Plastics is an incredibly versatile material, but it is fossil fuel based. It's non-biodegradable usually, and it's currently used in a lot of applications that are known as the take-make-waste model. So this has led to a lot of pollution and degradation of the natural environment. And as plastics degrade, um, microplastic pollution can be a really critical issue, both for the marine environment, uh, but also potentially for human health. Um, there's a lot of research in this area, so that is inconclusive. Uh, but overall, the negative societal costs of plastics pollution is estimated around at around 40 billion US dollar per year. So that is incredible. And governments are taking action more and more. So we do think that there is a lot of risks for companies, not only on the social license to operate, but also a lot of regulatory risks and associated costs. So, for instance, the EU banned uh, the 10 most common single-use plastics in 2019. And um, as of 2018, there are 127 countries that have um, bans on, on regulation on plastic bags. So we see a lot of uh, regulation emerging in this area. Thank you. And to what extent is plastic production linked to the climate emergency? Uh, it's, a good, it's a good question. So... Um, the first thing to understand here is that the the production of of plastic, uh, of raw plastic inputs is is ultimately made from hydrocarbons, from fossil fuels, so from the cracking of the basic atoms that that are involved in in that fuel. And so, uh, from a climate change perspective, there there is both a good news and a bad news story here. And you know, the good news first, and Lisa acknowledged this earlier, is that plastics are often playing a very critical role in society, either as a replacement for much more carbon intensive materials such as glass or metal, um, or where there is a social benefit that previously would not have been possible. So um, the applications of, keep, of keeping food fresh and, and from perishing, or the applications that, that are prevalent in healthcare are, very, are two examples where um, it simply would not have been possible to provide that benefit and that value to society without, without this material. So the, the bad news here is that unlike um, the other materials I mentioned, so uh, glass, metals, um, plastic is not recovered to, to the same degree. Uh, so it's, it's far from it. Um, and so the carbon and the hydrocarbons, which ultimately are embedded in that plastic and, and have been cracked and have caused um, uh, glo 
climate changing emissions in the process of, of manufacturing, um, that's essentially added to our global hydrocarbon emissions, uh, global hydrocarbon feedstock and, our, and effectively our emissions inventory indirectly um, across the plastics life cycle. Um, and no more new hydrocarbon feedstock is ultimately required to produce this, this material because the recovery rate is very low and there, there isn't a lot of recycling relative to the other materials that, that I mentioned. Um, so the full plastics value chain is a very notable part of the global, the global carbon budget and managing the life cycle of plastics in a way that preserves this material and its, and its value embedded in it will reduce the carboning, carbon emitting process of, of manufacturing yet more plastics again. So that's one of the reasons in, in the paper we've actually focused on, on packaging in a bit more detail because um, single-use materials such as packaging are very poorly recovered and uh, on, a, on a global basis this is fairly consistent across market and much of it is designed is not even designed to be recovered in the first place so the value is being is being left there even if there isn't a collection system uh, even if there is a collection system in place um, so packaging is also the largest application of, of plastic. So it's around one quarter of, of total volume based on our, our research. And it, so it should be one of the easiest ways to take action in relation to um, the climate impacts of, of plastics use. Um, so it's not necessary to replace plastics and, and, and that's, not, that's not really the point. It's, it's about actually just adapting plastics so that the value chain can recover the, 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 car, the part of the carbon budget that is embedded in this in this material. Um, and so the life cycle, life cycle impact of, of um, plastics when it comes to carbon emissions goes much, much beyond um, just the production of it alone. Thank you. That's uh, yes, that's very interesting to understand the nuances. It is quite a complex topic. Um, there's been a lot of public attention on this topic. Do you think that's something that we'll see continue, particularly, I suppose, as the coronavirus pandemic shifts people's priorities? It's an uh, interesting question, Amy, and I think that uh, plays in very well with Aaron, with what Aaron has just explained about the complexity of the issue, unintended consequences, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, people are very focused on the coronavirus at the moment. Hopefully that will pass. And um, as Aaron explained as well, there are some applications where plastics are critical. And if you have a, a plastics value chain that works, that recaptures the material and recycles it and inputs it back into the chain, that can be very beneficial. For instance, there are some medical applications of plastics that are very important. However, 99.5% of plastics volume is not used in medical applications. And here is where we will really focus on with engagement, with engaging with companies in the consumer goods sector and retail to really uh, look at that portion. And with the companies that we are engaging with, um, I have been actually quite assured that they are uh, planning to keep to their commitments around plastics that they've already made. So I think with a long-term perspective on this, um, people will continue to focus on plastics. Thank you. And coming back to you, Lisa, can you tell us a bit more about the thinking behind the paper and what is it intended to do? Uh, writing the paper was a really interesting exercise. And I think uh, for me, it was really about uh, highlighting the key risks and opportunities in this area and um, communicating the complexities of the problems and giving um, especially other investors a toolkit of key questions to ask to better understand where companies are in their maturity 
um, with regard to thinking and their approach to plastics. So we focused the paper on three key sectors, which was chemicals, consumer goods, and retail, um, which are sectors we engage with a lot. So we thought that we would have a lot of um, added value there. And these are also sectors that are uh, we can leverage to influence other sectors. So for instance, um, and I know we too have done a lot of work on this, if we focus on retail, that can really be um, a critical point to influence the entire value chain. So um, key to the investor expectations was a set on questions around governance as well that are acro across all the sectors. And I think we can add a lot of value here because if the right governance is in place, that is when we see that the company actually develops appropriate and ambitious responses to these issues and start to set really ambitious targets. Thank you. And Aaron, you've engaged with chemical companies on this issue. What are the key challenges there? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I think in some ways the um, the landscape of, of what's going on with chemical companies is, is, is actually quite positive. Um, so I think in the last in the last couple of years, it, it has it has been become clear to us that there is more an, of an emphasis in capital allocation and in research and development um, that's pointing at, at two areas. Really, it's the innovation around how plastics are made and recovered, and then the the innovations that are available to the value chain in terms of uh, closing the loop. So, in terms of recycling uh, and collection and so forth. So, on the innovation side, and you know, in the research and development that's happening. Um, the focus from what we've heard in, in engagement with chemicals companies is, is really the innovations to be able to scale up advanced recycling technologies, which greatly ease the problems with the current systems of, of recycling. So there is a collection and diversion issue, but there's also an issue with the way plastics are handled, and that's largely through mechanical means. So there are innovations at looking at um, the process of recycling on a molecular basis, um, which will um, stop one of the big problems in recycling. Besides, if we put aside the low diversion and collection rates, the other problem here is that the, the material plastic, using existing recycling technologies and systems, it degrades over time. So for example, if you um, recycle a plastic drinks bottle, that may only be able to be turned into a new plastic drinks bottle several times until the plastic is too degraded, and then it may not be appropriate for a consumer food grade sort of application, and it would go into something that is, is lower value. Um, so other competing materials that are, that are used in packaging and in other, other applications, so uh, metals, aluminium and glass, they suffer very little degradation. In the case of glass, there's almost no degradation at all um, in that recycling process. So they're not, in, they're not infinitely recyclable, but they're, they're much closer to that, that concept. Um, so the innovation is really, well, how do we change the plastics recovery process into one that does not degrade the plastics? And so there's a lot of innovation happening there. I think the second area is around value chains. We see a lot of commitments for upstream chemicals manufacturers and indeed for packaging manufacturers as well to work with their downstream partners. So major buyers and suppliers of packaging and then ultimately the consumer goods brands the retailers, and of course, the um, the non-consumer facing uh, applications of plastic and in, in product as well. Um, now, there's, 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 that's sort of the good news story. Um, I think there's some bad news here as well. And I think just starting off as, a, as just an observation on this entire landscape with chemicals companies is that um, this is early days and, and, and it's not 
something that we've really seen or discussed that much beyond you know two or three years back. So um, although these value chain commitments are in place, although there is R&D budget being allocated to solving this challenge, um, this is a relatively recent um, development, at least in, in, in my view. And then in, in many markets on the ground, there isn't enough supply of recycled plastics inputs, you know, just for the reasons I've, I've just mentioned, um, nor is there enough demand for a recycled product, which does command a price premium because of that supply issue, because of that lack of, of um, recycled inputs for these chemicals manufacturers to use and, and to leverage. And so there is still a price premium attached to many, many um, uh, recycled versions of, of plastic as well. So the supply of recycled inputs remains um, stubbornly, stubbornly small in comparison to simply buying um, hydrocarbons and cracking them and, and turning them into new plastics. And so the volume of uh, hydrocarbon resources being used in production continues to rise. So those investments in new technologies, scaling up economically competitive recycling options and, and working across the value chain is really important. And, and it, the hope is that that will yield notable results. But to date, this is very slow going and um, very complex product based value chains need to change in order for this, these alternatives to scale up. And it's, it's very early days and uh, a preponderance of the, the, um, the materials that, that these chemicals manufacturers are using are, are predominantly from virgin feedstocks from hydrocarbons as opposed to uh, a recycled uh, supply of plastics. Thank you. Um, moving to a different sector along this chain, the consumer goods sector, you've both engaged with companies in this sector. What are you seeing emerging as leading practice here? And so consumer goods companies have been very active in this area, I think also because um, this is key to their license to operate, key to how consumers relate to them and perceive them. So I think Aaron and I have worked a lot on this, um, focusing what do we ex on how to articulate what we expect from companies. And I think at this point, we really expect companies to have um, targets and um, initiatives with regard to sustainable design, materials use, handling of that material, and then um, material targets along the value chains that are relative to the total volume of plastics that they use and end dates for that achievement. And we've seen a lot of um, companies set targets, for instance, 100% of pa uh, packaging to be recyclable or reusable by 2025 and eliminating non-recyclable plastics. So the, a lot of these are tied to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation New Plastics Economy Global Commitment, which we think is a really good initiative to have um, ambitious targets um, for the sector. But it remains to be seen how companies actually progress towards those targets and how they report those targets to investors. Um, and then we need to ask how ambitious these targets actually are. But um, Aaron, if you, if you want to add anything to that, I know you've engaged with a lot of companies in this sector as well. Yeah, so, so I guess one of the, the, the cross-sector initiatives that um, I've also noticed gaining a lot of traction in the last year or two, and it does involve capital allocation commitments across the value chain, is the Alliance to End Plastic Waste. Um, so I know that the, um, the chair of that, of that initiative is also the, the chief executive of a major chemicals company. And um, I think that the level of commitment at very senior levels to that particular alliance is, is hopeful. Um, 
I think it's 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 fair to say that we we would want to see some some um, some concrete results being being um, sort of exhibited and, and and being driven by an alliance like that. I think one of the things that that's um, complementary to some of the comments that Lisa's made about consumer goods and retail organizations is that we see some of the um, upstream packaging manufacturers. So those that sit between the chemicals goods makers, uh, sorry, the chemicals manufacturers and um, the buyers of, of packaging um, are also making value chain commitments on how they want to change their supply of, of the plastic that they're putting out into the market in finished form. So there's a couple of companies which have set um, fairly ambitious um, recycled product content goals. So one I've seen is a 50% minimum of recycled inputs into all of the plastic packaging that they're putting out onto the market for these consumer goods firms. So there is a, you know, that demand for a much higher level of sustainability performance in this this particular element of the product um, that is translating into demand that's that's going back into the supply chain. Um, that same company is in fact committed to by, by design 100% of the plastic that they plastic packaging they create for the market uh, will be. 100% recyclable by design by 2025 in this case. So their their targets are very much mirroring some of the leadership um, the leadership initiatives we're seeing amongst consumer goods and amongst retailers. And I think the one that's really the most significant here, that and the one that will be the most difficult to achieve, is that recycled um, product content goal because that is the one that requires a supply of high quality recycled plastic inputs to be available in the first place. And so that. That is a much more difficult goal to achieve than just simply ensuring that by design your plastics that you're putting out are recyclable with common recycling systems. Getting that done is the easier bit. The harder bit is going to be scaling up that system to provide that high quality supply at a low price. And I think this also shows how the different actors within the plastics value chain are so connected and there needs to be actions on all levels. So the third um, a sector we've looked at is uh, retail and I know Amy has done a lot uh, on this issue and we've actually worked on a project together um, assessing different um, supermarkets in different countries to see how ambitious their objectives are. So Amy do you want to share any insights about that project? Yeah I think echoing a point you made earlier Lisa some of this is about um, influencing key actors in the chain because this is this is an interconnected space and supermarkets on their own can't solve these problems but they occupy a very important place in this chain both to influence back up their supply chains but also they are consumer facing and play a very important role in changing shopping habits and and the way that consumers use products so um we had a look at a selection of, of supermarkets across the US, Europe and Asia and had a look at what they were doing in terms of recyclability, use of recycled content and also plastic reduction and so taking a more holistic look at their packaging materials mix. Um, in many markets, uh, retailers will have um, considerable influence over their suppliers, but in some cases, they also have substantial private or own label lines as well where they have more direct control over the packaging that, uh, that goes with those products. So what we saw really was just really big differences in maturity levels, what targets were being set and what data were being reported across those regions and even within those markets. I think generally we're seeing some more developed thinking and some more ambitious commitments in the UK. Um, 
In the US, we're seeing some action on recyclability, but less on plastic reduction and less developed thinking in terms of targets uh, and, and good reporting of data so we can see progress towards those commitments. It's still a sort of more qualitative, high level commitment at the moment for many companies. And I know, Lisa, you're also a member of the PRI Plastics Working Group. Could you tell us a bit more about how Federated Hermes is collaborating with other investors on this? Uh, yes, I think the PRI Plastics Working Group has been a really good forum to discuss how investors are approaching this issue and um, coordinate some engagements and also research to have a better understanding how the plastics value chain works and where these key levers are that we want to pull. Um, they've also been really um, responsive to the uh, the investor expectations document and found that very helpful and I've shared that with them and uh, we as a group are planning further work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation to develop more granular engagement guidelines for different subsectors so I think there's a lot of interesting um, information and guidance coming out of that group in the future. Thanks, Lisa and Aaron, for talking to us today. If you're interested in the topics we've talked about and you'd like to read more, you can download the white paper we've mentioned from the EOS Insights page. You can find the link at the top of this web post. The paper is a great starting point for engaging with companies on this complex issue. It gives a succinct overview of the key issues, risks and opportunities from an investor perspective, and also what companies need to think about to address these. I'm Amy Wilson. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Amplified. Thank you for listening to the Federated Hermes podcast. If you found it interesting and would like to listen to more podcasts from the international business of Federated Hermes, please visit our website. Our podcasts are also available to download on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. These podcasts are for informational purposes only, and the views, information or opinions expressed therein are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the company and its employees. Performance should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All performance mentioned is historical. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results, and investors may not recover the full amount invested.